Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Wow. For two Saturdays in a row, there has been fresh snow on the ground. So these episodes release on Tuesday morning. Typically, I record them the Saturday before they release. And so that's what I'm doing today. Fresh snow on the ground, two Saturdays in a row. Global warming is definitely happening here in North Carolina. Now, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I know that's not what global warming is all about. Anyway, um, so I hope you, well, it's not really snow that you can enjoy today. It's just sort of uh, salted the ground a little bit. But um, so let's get started. Today is sort of our concluding episode for Calvinism, Arminianism. And, you know, you probably already realized this, but I have just barely scratched the surface for this debate, argument, whatever. Hopefully, these episodes have been encouraging to you, and hopefully, they have helped you understand both sides of the argument. Uh, there Again, this is an in family Christian discussion. And I think it will keep on going for you know centuries after this. Every generation essentially is going to have people on both sides of this debate. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing because I think both sides are are sort of uh, trying to emphasize and hold up attributes of God's character. And God is beyond our our scope as far as being able to fully understand all the things of God. So it's tough for us to just put everything into one specific theological system. At some point, there's some some difficulties there. And so uh, I think this debate will just keep going. But my theory here, in you know, you may think, well, if, if God is so clear and he's revealed himself in his word, the Bible, then why do we have these debates? Why do Christians argue over things like this? I think it is, a, is an iron sharpening iron type of concept here that the Arminian and the Calvinists can come together, go to God's Word, and they are both strengthened, and they both learn, and they're both humbled as they look into God's Word, and they're helping each other um, properly, rightly interpret it. It's a challenge. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Uh, think about, you know, in, in uh, the last couple of years, with all the COVID stuff, there's there's lots of opinions out there. And so think about yourself sitting in a group of people, and you all know that y'all all already have the same thoughts about COVID, be it, you know, should we wear masks or vaccinations or whatever. If everybody in that group thinks the same way, then you really don't have to justify anything you say. You just, you're just like an echo chamber. Everybody's just talking, and it's it's not like people are demanding that you show evidence for what you believe. But if you're in a group of people that disagree with you, then as you're making arguments over what you believe, you've got to show primary sources, you know, research or uh, professional opinions and, and things like that. I mean, you've got to appeal to primary sources for what you say. And so I think this this debate between Calvinism and Arminianism is good for the Christian community in that way, in that it forces us back to the primary source of truth, the Bible, and we must argue from there. So it forces, it continues to force us back into that. Now, as we get going today, I want to let you know about two, I have friends, I have friend podcasters. And so two podcasts that I want to let you know about. One of them you've heard about before, it's called Andrew's Daily Five. And this is from Andrew May. He's a doctor that I work with. He loves music, and he has like these musical countdowns. So for Christmas, he did like the 12 Days of Christmas and highlighted 
uh, his favorites, and also some of the least favorite Christmas songs. But he does a lot of things. Right now, he's working through his his top albums. And so lots of really cool stuff on that podcast. And it is a great way to discover music if you, and both new and old. And so he plays music from the, you know, forties and then he plays current music. And, and so it's, it's a really good way to discover some new artists that you may not have heard of before. So Andrew's daily five. And then another podcast I'm really excited about that my friend just started, Christian. It's, it, I wanted him to call it Christian Christianity. Then we could be like, you know, like cousin podcast or whatever. Uh, but he he decided against it, against my advice. He decided against it. It's called Walk With The Word. Walk With The Word. And so that's my friend Christian. He's, he started his podcast. It's on Spotify, and then it, when you start a podcast, you have to get approved by all these different apps that play your podcast. So he's he's on Spotify and sort of in the process of getting approval for other apps, but you can check it out if you want to. And he is it's going to be like a, a Bible study podcast, and the first one he's going is my favorite book of the Bible. It's Hebrews. So uh, if, if you want to learn the Hebrews, the reason it's my favorite book is because it, in so many ways, it ties the Old Testament together with the New Testament, and it, it Jesus is, is better in Hebrews. Jesus is the better high priest. He's the better prophet. He's, he's, the, better, he's the better sacrifice. He's, he's the better everything. And so it takes all the symbolism of the Old Testament and and applies it to Jesus, and just, I I love that book of Hebrews. So that's what Christian is going to be walking through verse by verse, so walk with the Word. So go ahead and find that on Spotify, and then look out for it for on on other, uh, like if you listen on the... uh, like iTunes app or whatever for for oh, the podcast app on your iPhone. Hopefully he'll be up there shortly. So check it out. Now here is a quote from his podcast. So he's got a little intro episode that's like a minute long. Then he's got like a 15 minute episode up right now that covers the basics of how to study the Bible. And here is a quote from that. And this will kind of get us kicked off today. He says this, God's word is enduring and unchanging. It's not molded to the attitudes and principles of this age. It molds us to the principles that he has established for eternity. So in the 21st century, you know, thinking through, you know, thinking about Calvinism and Arminianism, in the 21st century America, Arminianism is more or less like the default position in our minds. American culture is one of freedom and individuality. The founders of this country opposed absolute rule of a monarch to establish a free country. You know, man's freedom uh, and his his free will is a big deal here in America. If we're not careful, we will read the Bible with the tinted lenses of the 21st century American culture. Now, in a previous episode, I covered the Dead Sea Scrolls, and this was a massive discovery of almost the entire Old Testament, as well as many other religious writings, and these were found in caves in Qumran, which is near the Dead Sea. The Qumran community, and there's still some mystery as to if this was there were different sects there or whatever, but at least some people in the Qumran community, they were this Jewish sect, and they stored these scrolls. And some of the writings in these scrolls, not the, the biblical scrolls, but some other writings, reveal that they viewed the world a lot different than we do in America today. So they believed every person had some light and some darkness. So they, they sort of said, everybody has nine points, basically, and some of those points are light, and some of them are dark. And so some people were like eight light and one dark, and some were four light and five dark. So this, you know, again, this is 2,000 years ago, this community. 
So all of this was believed to be determined by God and could not be changed by any actions of the person. So when someone wanted to come into this special religious sect, they were rated based on the physical appearance and other factors which were indicators of the amount of light and dark they had. All right, so so pretty crazy to think about, but this was like a hard deterministic mindset, which is very different from the free will individuality type of concept that we have in today's culture. And so my point is this, do you think that this group would have naturally interpreted the Bible the same way that we do today? So we must allow the Bible to be the final authority. It it cannot be what feels right to us or what best aligns with the thoughts of our culture. Cultural thoughts or majority opinions change. God's Word does not. And so we must strive to discover what the Bible says and then believe that. Hold on to those truths, okay? So now this will be the last episode on this topic. Uh, As always, send your questions and comments to bearchristianity at gmail.com. Or you can message me on Instagram at the Real Bear Martin. And this episode of Bear Christianity is sponsored by the Right Side Dryer. Do you have kids or a spouse who doesn't know how to properly place their clothes in the laundry basket? Do they just peel them off so every piece of clothing is inside out and the fuzzy inside lining of their sweatshirts are ready to mingle with all the other fabrics in the wash? Not anymore. Introducing the Right Side Dryer. The Right Side Dryer uses technology from NASA to identify and flip clothes while in the dryer. This eliminates hours from the folding process for each load. Bear Christianity listeners receive the underwear bonus attachment when they use the coupon code, You Have Got To Be Kidding Me. With the underwear attachment activated, you no longer have to worry about peeling underwear from anyone's jeans, again saving you hours of time each week. The Right Side Dryer, because life is short. Details may vary. Some restrictions may apply. In closing up some episodes on Calvinism and Arminianism, this is kind of a mixed bag of things that I just wanted to cover. So first off, I'd like to offer some warnings for both sides of the argument. And so, you know, many of these things have come up in my own life as I've sort of worked through these things. Um, The first one being hard-headedness, all right? So careful you are not stuck in your own ways just because that feels right to you. Would you humble yourself enough to realize there are extremely smart men and women who hold a different opinion than you? Have you taken the time to think about what the Bible says about soteriology? Soteriology is the doctrine of salvation, how we are saved. So do you dismiss the other side using one just, you know, one Bible verse or a few Bible verses you know? And and do you know how the other side would interpret that verse? And how do you know your way of interpreting it is correct? So t- sometimes we're guilty of we we just have this one Bible verse in our head. We don't know the context that it's being said. We we you know, we haven't really studied a whole lot. We just know it in our head and we just we just Throw that out there as a defense, and then we we just don't even think about it anymore. Would you go back to some of those Bible verses that are stuck in your head and look at the context and read them and make sure that you have the proper understanding of that verse? Now, Satan will always use disagreements like this to place divides among Christians. Now, the Christian thing to do is to come together and evaluate what the Bible says together, again, as iron sharpens iron. But Satan will use the disagreement between Calvinists and Arminians, and you can easily fall into demonizing the other side. And so I would encourage you not to do that. If, if you hold one particular view, 
really search out and make sure you fully understand what the other side is saying. Find the good in what they're saying and realize that they are trying to honor God and be consistent in their interpretation of the Bible as well. And then compare what they have to say and 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 then see what you think instead of just being hard-headed and not even considering it. Now, along the same lines, of avoid emotional arguments. So are your reasons for belief based on emotional arguments, or are they on what the Bible says? So it's easy to think of a bunch of analogies and then base your beliefs on those analogies rather than the Bible. Uh, here's an example, and, and this is one that I heard in a debate. So I'm not picking on Arminianism here, but but this is just a, one that I heard in a, a Calvinist-Arminian debate. The Arminian was criticizing Calvinism, and he's he's setting up this analogy. So he says some, something like this. This is not a direct quote, but basically he says, so imagine two infants in the bathtub. They can sit up on their own, but they're not able to get out of the, ba- out of the bathtub yet. They're too young. Now, the parent says to both of them, get out of the tub or you will be punished. Then the parent only helps one child out of the tub and punishes the other one for not getting out. So you can see where the Arminian is going here. He's saying, you know, we're all in sin, and then the Calvinist believes that God just chooses to help one and then punish the other one. And But but the, the one that he's punishing, they, they couldn't do anything other than that. Now, this analogy is an emotional argument against total depravity or an, an unconditional election, which are beliefs of the Calvinist. So everyone hears this analogy, they realize that the parent is not being fair to the children. But here's the problem with the analogy. The analogy assumes we are all helpless little innocent babies just, just needing help, uh, but this is not the belief of the Calvinist. So they're, they're starting from two different points. So when the Calvinists in this debate had a chance to respond, they changed the analogy. He said, imagine a good king whose kingdom is one where people can thrive. He is kind to his people. Now, some enemies of the king stormed the castle in rebellion. They set fire to the castle, destroying and and causing havoc in the castle. They killed some of the king's faithful servants and even killed the king's firstborn son. Now, what do these rebels deserve? What does the king have the right to do? The king has the right to sentence them all to death for treason and rebellion. Now, what would you say about the king if he gathered up the rebels and instead of executing them, he treated them as if they were his own son, the very son they killed? What would you say about that king? And so you can see that the Calvinist and the Arminian are coming from two different perspectives. And so be careful that you're not just making this emotional driven analogy and then forcing Calvinism, or, you know, there's other analogies that can be made for Arminians that that Calvinists are used. Make sure you're not forcing the other side into a box. Uh, A very common one that I've already addressed, so I'll just mention it real quick, um, just just to be fair to both sides. A Calvinist oftentimes will accuse Arminians of essentially working their way to salvation because they'll say, you know, if, if it's all up to you to believe, then that essentially is a work. Your your faith is a, a work, something you're generating in your own heart, and God's not, you know, God's just sort of putting everybody on an evil, uh, 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 evil, an even playing field. And so that is a, that's putting Arminianism in a box because Arminius, uh, Arminians would not say that. They're like, no, we don't see it like that at all. It, it, we still, it's all because of God's grace that we're saved. And so just be careful that you're not making uh, like emotionally driven arguments or you're not being unfair. It, it's also called a straw man argument where you sort of set up the, 
some false pretenses and then defeat those instead of instead of actually going at the real arguments that are being made. So those are just some warnings for both sides. Now, some specific warnings if you find yourself on the Calvinism side of the debate. Be aware that you're you're in danger of growing cold towards others, drifting into what's called hyper-Calvinism. Hyper-Calvinism is is a false, it's it's non-biblical. They do not share the gospel with others because they figure, you know, what's the point? So it's just, it's a cold heart, um, this, this, this idea that, well, God is going to save who he wants to save anyway. It's all predetermined. You know, what's the point? And so they, they don't share the gospel with others. Be aware that you can slide into that false belief. That's why we must constantly be reevaluating our hearts and comparing it to what Scripture says. Romans 10, 13 through 14 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So it is a command of Jesus Christ to go and preach the gospel. So be aware that that your heart doesn't fall into this uh, sort of, uh, don't it doesn't really matter type of mindset. Um, another thing that I want uh, Calvinists to be aware of is Calvinism typically is is going to be, it requires some intellect to try to grapple with some of its concepts. So uh, the appealing thing about Calvinism is, is logically um, a lot of things sort of fit together, but if you're not careful, you, the Calvinist is in danger of considering themselves smarter or, or maybe... Um, just more mature than other Christians, and uh, like somehow they have this greater concept of God. So they and, and they can often complicate the gospel, wanting everyone to know the complexities of Calvinism before considering them a true Christian. Romans ten nine says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A true Christian does not have to understand Calvinism and Arminianism and all this stuff. Now, a lot of times as you are searching deeper in the Bible, things like this will come up. That's why I'm addressing it on this podcast. But to be a true Christian, you have to you know, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So there's just some warnings for Calvinism. Now on to Arminianism. Arminians are in danger of not trusting in God to save others. If God is giving provenient grace to everyone and enabling them to believe, then the Arminian can start to feel as if they're the ones that must convince people to take that final step and trust the Lord for their salvation. Now, God, and again, I'm not saying that Arminians do this. I'm saying we are in danger of sort of slipping into this mindset. And, and so the, the mindset would be, well, God's already done his part, so the only thing left is for the, the other person to believe in what God has done for them. And so uh, they, they have to understand some, somehow, and this can lead Arminians into this false idea that you've got to create the proper environment or atmosphere to stir the emotions of the non-believer and, and sort of you know make Christianity seem more attractive to them. And if only we could do that, then they would believe. And so we've got to have the right music and lighting and, and the right production and the right programs and all of this stuff in order to, to again, to attract the non-believer to Christianity. And along those same lines, the Arminian can place way too much pressure on themselves when sharing the gospel. And this causes discouragement. You know, they they if they are sharing the gospel and and the person's just 
you know, just not having it, just not really interested, that can cause discouragement if you're thinking that you somehow have to convince people to believe that God's already done his part and now we've we've got to try to convince them to believe in him. Also, Arminians can falsely elevate a pastor or evangelist who seems to be able to get others to make this commitment to Jesus. It is never the talents or abilities or clever arguments of men or women. It is never the music or the lighting or the atmosphere that brings a sinner from darkness to light. It is the Holy Spirit working a miracle in the heart of the non-believer. In 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 18, it says, For Christ, this is Paul speaking, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then a few verses later in, in uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty one, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So when, when we share the gospel, it is not our clever arguments that are saving people. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working in that. Now, please understand this. I am not saying that the church building can't be beautiful or that the music has to be terrible or anything like that. I believe that anyone who plays music in church, you know, any any church that has a building, they should strive to make it beautiful and and bring honor to God. Um, I'm not even saying that we shouldn't try to create an environment which stirs our emotions. However, we must always search ourselves to determine if these things are being done to praise God or to try to persuade a person into making a temporary emotional decision which bears no fruit of true salvation. And so there's you know there's some warnings for the Armenian that it's it's easy and and I see this in my own life it's easy to slip into this well I've got my arguments have to be good enough to try to persuade people. Uh, there's such comfort in in putting that on God. Our job is to share the gospel and God will use even the foolishness of what we say, sometimes when we, you know, we we feel like, oh, I, I just completely blew it. God can still use that to save people. In this next little section, Calvinism and Arminianism both have these five points of soteriology, and I've talked about those for Calvinism. It's tulip, and then I, and I showed sort of the counterpoints of that with Arminianism. Uh, these five points can sort of be categorized in this way: you know, what condition are people in before they're saved or, or from birth? Um, who will be saved? And that's that's this idea of who's the elect, and there's different interpretations. How are we saved? And this this has to do with the atoning work of Jesus Christ, and this is where Calvinists believe in limited atonement, and, and Arminians believe in general atonement. Um, the next one would be, what does God do to save us? And so it's we know it's by His grace, but there's different interpretations of that. And then the last of the five points has to do with, like, like for Tulip, it's the perseverance of the saints, or once saved, what happens next in the Christian's life? And so those are kind of the five points, and there are several Bible passages that cover each of these, basically. Uh, a, a few of these I'll mention, you can go back and read them for yourself. John 3, 1 through 21. Roman, basically Romans. <laughs> um, if, if you know Romans just lays out all this in a, a lengthy discussion, but specifically Romans like one through eight, um, you can you know, but you know, read the whole book. Um, Ephesians chapters one and two, and then Titus three, three through eight. Titus three, three through eight. That's what I want to go through now because that that is just a. I feel like it's these five points. 
and it just lays them out almost in exact order. And so let's just walk through that together. I don't do this much, but it's Titus 3, 3 through 8. Uh, Verse 3 starts out this way, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. And so in this verse, it says we were foolish. The Bible tells us that we're blind to our own sin. It says, the verse says we're disobedient. We are all aware of these basic laws of God, yet we constantly choose to disobey them. It says we're led astray. We're led astray by ourselves. We, we love our sin. We allow our minds to rationalize our sin. It's okay for us to sin. Uh, we can always find a reason to justify it. We compare our sins to the sins of others, and so we, f- we can feel good about ourselves. So we're led astray by ourselves, but we're also led astray by others. We let others lead us astray because they they tickle our ears with flattery. They exalt us for living in sin. Romans 1 teaches that. It says, although they know God's law, they ignore it. And worse than that, they praise people who break God's law. And in American culture today, how often do we praise people and call them heroes for breaking the laws of God? The, the verse in Titus 3, it, it says, we're slaves to various passions and pleasures. Jesus said, he who sins is a slave to sin. Our sin literally enslaves us. We must have more of it. It never satisfies. We always long for more. All sin works this way. But an easy way to see it is like the alcoholic who always needs more to be satisfied or the person addicted to sexual desires outside of God's law. People addicted to things like pornography, they always need something more. They always need something different. They're never satisfied, and we become slaves to that sin. And then the last phrase in the verse says, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Jealousy fills our hearts. We constantly want what other people have. We see ourselves as better than others, and we judge them with standards that we would never apply to ourselves. This is who we are in sin. This is that first point. And if you think I'm wrong, you are, are simply blind. I'm, I'm sorry, but please search your own heart a little deeper. This is who you are in sin. The next few verses here in this uh, Titus passage we're walking through is Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit." God is good, and is and in His loving kindness, He's the one that saved us. Why? Not because of our good works, but because He is merciful. How? The Holy Spirit washed us and gave us new life. Jesus said, you must be born again if you want to be saved. This is that regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. In Titus 3, verse 6, it says, "...whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior." This talks about the atonement of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sin, and His perfection and innocence was transferred to us. The best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible. And so in another place, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, "...for our sake..." He made him to be sin who knew no sin. This is talking about Jesus. So God places the the sins of us onto Jesus so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. This This verse is talking about how Jesus switches places with us. He takes our sin and he gives us his own perfection and righteousness. And as far as the atonement goes, anyone who trusts in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin will find that the atonement of Jesus Christ is a perfect, complete payment for their sin. 
The next verse in Titus 3 is, is verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justified by his grace. What an awesome phrase. And I will talk a lot about justification in the next few weeks when I, when I compare uh, Protestants and Catholics. But notice, it is God's grace that justifies us. So we were sinners, and God's goodness and loving kindness was his reason for saving us. This was done through the atoning work of Jesus Christ and by God's grace. And then the final verse that I want to mention in in Titus 3, it's verse 8, and this gives us the follow-through for Christianity. It says this, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Another way of saying this is found right after one of the most popular verses in the Bible. So here's the popular verse. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that, that's the popular verse. Here is the follow-through, though. Listen carefully to this. This is verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A true Christian will have the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. A tree created by the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit. So as we're wrapping things up, you probably have been wondering all along, Bear, what do you believe? Are you a Calvinist? Are you an Arminian? So I know this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. But in this case, I think it's best to leave it a mystery. It does not matter what I believe in this area. What matters is what the Bible says. So throughout this podcast, I have demonstrated why I believe God exists, why I believe in the Trinity, why I believe in the deity of Jesus, why I believe the resurrection happened, why I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe all Christians must affirm the above things. However, as I've tried to emphasize several times, I believe Calvinists and Arminians are both Christians. And so I don't feel that I have to pick a side. And and, uh, if you simply must know, listen out for my email. I typically mention it at the front of each episode. Now, let me close with something that brings Calvinists and Arminians together, something we would all agree on. Imagine a Calvinist and Arminian are best friends, and they have another friend who is not a Christian. What do they both do? They pray. But why do they pray? It's because they both know that that is their only hope. Sure, they may try to think of different things to say to their friend. They will try to make sure that they can defend their own faith. They will, they will make sure they can defend the existence of God and the reliability of the Bible. But most importantly, they should pray. The Calvinist doesn't say, well, prayer's not really important. God's decided all of it beforehand. And the Arminian does not say, well, prayer's not really important. God's already done his part. No, they both hit their knees and pray for their friend. They pray God would perform a miracle and show their friend his own sin and his need for a Savior. They pray God would show their friend the beauty of his word. They pray God would show their friend that he loves them. Now, I love a happy ending, so let's imagine that their friend becomes a Christian. What does the Calvinist and the Arminian say when their friend is saved? Praise the Lord. All glory goes to God. And in that, there is complete unity between the Arminian and the Calvinist. So next week, I will start a series comparing Protestants and Catholics. A key verse in the Protestant Reformation was this. It's Romans 1, 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Mm